Welcome to our Ash Wednesday service here at South Suburban Christian Church. We're grateful that you're taking time on this very holy day. And when I say it's a holy day, I mean that in the truest sense of the word as, as defined in Scripture, that it's a day set apart. It's a day that's set apart to uh, place into our, our minds and our hearts that we're beginning this season of Lent, this season of preparation, these 40 days of preparation uh, remembering the, 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 the 40 day, uh, years that the uh, Israelites were in the wilderness, uh, remembering the 40 days that Jesus went into the wilderness to pray when he was tempted by the devil. That 40 comes up an awful lot in our faith. And we spend this time <coughs> in uh, reflection and, and prayer, uh, repentance, uh, looking toward Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the victory of Christ over sin and death. So thank you for being with us uh, for this Ash Wednesday message. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Just going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. You know, the church actually assigns this lesson from Matthew to be read on this day. And I always thought that was um, wonderfully transparent that the church does that. For we are about to mark ourselves with the sign of our own repentance and our own mortality with ashes on our head or on our hand. And at the same time, we like to hear again the words of Jesus that remind us that even though we do this very thing that may be seen as public, we are people who need to worry more about what God sees in our hearts and in our lives together. Today, as we observe Ash Wednesday, we're also beginning a new series in the life of our church, a new sermon series, beginning this coming Sunday, Out of the Ashes. We're going to be looking at five incidences in Scripture, and really five uh, sets of people. Uh, the first, Adam and Eve, then Moses and his sister Miriam, David and Bathsheba, Hosea and Gomer, and then finally Peter and Judas. And if you have any familiarity with those, uh, those, those people, you, you know that uh, they found themselves in utter ruin and destruction, in ashes, you might say. We've had our share of ashes this year in our own life, and I'm not just talking about the pandemic. Up on the screen are some photos of the ashes that remain after the devastating forest fires from this past summer. Along with the folks on which we'll be focusing during Lent in that series, Out of the Ashes, uh, all of us have found ourselves up to our neck in ashes. I think that for the modern-day human being, for you and for me, the use of ashes may seem kind of strange to us. But it was a common way in the ancient world that our ancient forebears, our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, 
particularly those who were Jews, followers of the one true God, expressed their own mourning, their own grief, their own mortality, their own repentance. It's all right there in your Bible, in the Old Testament. In the book of Esther, Mordecai put on sackcloth and ashes when he heard about the decree of King Xerxes that every Jew was to be put to death in the Persian Empire. In the book of Job, also in your Old Testament, after Job had been struck initially uh, by Satan with pain and with suffering and with loss, he seeks to repent, even though he's not sure what he's repenting of, but he sits in ashes in Job chapter 2, verse 8. If you've read that wonderful book about Job's constant conversation with his friends and with God, you'll see that in chapter 42 of Job, after God and Job have had sort of a, well, shall we say, a come-to-Jesus talk uh, about Job's questions, that Job finally understands his true sin, and he repents. And the text there in Job says that he sat in sackcloth and ashes. During the Babylonian captivity in Jerusalem, Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 3, writes that after God had shown him the suffering that was to come for the for, for, for not only the Jewish nation, but for all of the ancient world, jo, uh, Daniel writes, I turned to the Lord God, pleading an earnest prayer with fasting, sackcloth, and you guessed it, ashes. And Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, when the reluctant prophet Jonah finally arrived at Nineveh after his detour in a fish's belly, he preaches conversion and repentance to that city that he hopes won't convert and yet the king, hearing the good news, sits in sackcloth and ashes. That's Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. These are just some of the Old Testament examples that recognize the practice of using ashes as a sign of repentance. Jesus himself made reference to ashes. He was preaching to the towns uh, throughout uh, the, the ancient land of, of Israel and Galilee and Judah. And as he has done all of these great miracles and all of these great powers, no one seems willing to humble themselves before God. No one seems willing to, 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 uh, to repent and to convert. And Jesus, in a rare moment of frustration, utters these words. If the mighty works that you have seen done, meaning the mighty works he has done in the presence of the people, if these mighty works had been seen by the people of Tyre and Sidon, two cities which were rooted in, 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 in stiff-neckedness, if they had seen these great works, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth, and you guessed it, ashes. That's Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, by the way. Even in the early church, we see the <clears throat> continuation of the use of ashes for the same symbolic reasons. A very famous ancient church uh, father, a, a leader of the church, uh, a, a North African uh, a father of the church, a guy named Tertullian, uh, he lived about the year 160 to 220 A.D. He prescribes that if someone is continually engaging in the same sin, you know, they do the sin, they say, I'm sorry, they do the sin, they say, I'm sorry, they do the sin again and say, I'm sorry. Tertullian says that if somebody who has this repeated pattern of sin truly wants to repent, they must do so 
by living without joy, quote, in the roughness of sackcloth and the squalor of ashes. Thirty years later, another uh, great church historian, a man named Eusebius, lived from 260 to 340, talks about, as he's recording some of the ancient events, that, that people who had been apostates, that is, as Christians who had left the Christian faith and then later were trying to come back to the faith, would come to their pastors clothed in sackcloth and covered in ashes. In the 3rd and 4th century, when Christians would confess their sins <clears throat> to the pastor, the pastor would oftentimes sprinkle some ashes on their head as a sign of their public repentance. In the Middle Ages, at least by the 8th century anyway, those who were about to die were laid on the ground on top of a sackcloth sprinkled with ashes. The pastor would bless the dying person with water saying, Remember that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. And after the sprinkling of the ashes, the pastor would ask, Art thou content with sackcloth and ashes and testimony of thy penance before the Lord and the day of judgment? To which the dying person would say, I am content. In all of these examples, the symbolism of mourning, of mortality, of repentance is clear. And eventually, the use of ashes would be adapted to mark the beginning of Lent. And so, generally weren't found in the everyday life of the church as it had been for hundreds of years prior, but was just for this day alone. On Ash Wednesday, the beginning of this 40-day preparation, not including Sundays, as we approach Resurrection Sunday, or as the world calls it, Easter. Although the use of ashes in the everyday lives of Christians were similar to that which the Jews did, the practice of using ashes to begin this 40-day preparation, the season of Lent, really didn't become very prominent until about the 700s. That's the earliest reference that we have of it. A lot of people think that this was during the rise, which it, it was during the rise of the Islamic expansion, and a lot of people, a lot of historians believe that the use of ashes was intended to convey to Christians as they struggled with the expansion of the Islamic empire, the persecution that they suffered during that expansion, that perhaps it was a sign of God's judgment on his church in the 8th century. I can't help but wonder about ourselves because as I have shared with you in the weeks past, sometimes I look around and I wonder if we especially in North America and parts of Europe, as the church, aren't suffering the same judgment of God. Maybe it's that God has simply turned us over to our own desires, the desires of our hearts, as Paul says in Romans. And perhaps, especially this year, this use of ash on Ash Wednesday is something that we need to consider deeply. Not just the outward marking, but the inward transformation. Around the year 1000, there was a pastor in what is today England. His name was Alfred, and he preached, quote, We read in the books, both in the old law and the new, that the men who repented of their sins bestrewed themselves with ashes and clothed their bodies with sackcloth. Now let us do this little at the beginning of our Lent, 
that we strew ashes upon our heads, upon our hands here this year, to signify that we too ought to repent of our sins. Today, in the observance of Ash Wednesday, we are using ashes as every Christian throughout the world is doing that are made from something very special. And a lot of folks don't know this. Remember the palms that we waved last year on Palm Sunday, for many of us symbolically. Those palms which welcomed the coming of Christ, which had our own expectations of how Christ would come. Those hands and those arms that waved in exaltation and cheered the coming of Jesus. And those same voices now yelling out, crucify Him. Those arms that waved in exaltation, now raised with a clenched fist, crucify Him. Those palms, a sign of our fickleness, a sign of our refusal to see and accept what God was doing in that midst, a sign of our stubbornness and our hard hearts, that we too often demand that God come to us on our terms rather than submitting to God's terms. And so those palm branches, a symbol of our own rebellion, are what are burned and made those ashes that we will place upon our bodies this year. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return the old preachers hundreds of years ago would say. Turn away from sin. Be faithful to God. When we begin the holy season of Lent in preparation for Easter, we must remember the significance of the ashes that we are receiving. We are repenting. That we are mourning our sins. That we are seeking to reorient our hearts to the Lord who suffered, who died, and rose again for our salvation. We are renewing the promise made at our baptism when we said that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior of our lives and that we would follow Him alone. That we have died to our old self as we were lowered in the watery grave and we have been raised again with Christ to a life, an eternal life, that He has given us. Well, for those of us who live in areas impacted by the forest fires of this past summer, those photos that we showed you earlier in this message, here in Colorado, the smoke was so thick that the ash would settle on our cars and houses here in the Denver and the Denver suburbs. The images you saw were stark, raw, and desolate. But you ask any forest ranger, how those same areas that have been ravaged by fire will look later in this year when spring comes. Out of the ashes, those trees will sprout leaves. New shrubs and trees will grow. Animals will return. Birds will again nest in the branches of those trees. And in a few years, the blessings of nature will repaint the, the whole canvas of those majestic mountains into one where the remnants of the fire will be all but undetectable. Maybe that's why Jesus told us not to look dismal when we fast, as we read today in Matthew's Gospel. Now I want you to notice here that Jesus didn't say, don't fast. 
what Jesus said is, is when you fast. You see, in Matthew chapter 11 that we read earlier, there is an assumption that sackcloth and ashes are still appropriate for those who recognize their need for repentance. Those of us who see our need for God's grace and God's mercy. Now remember the difference? Grace is receiving that which we did not deserve and mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And yet at the same time, as those of us who rest our faith in God's grace and not our works, we know that our forgiveness isn't dependent on our public display of, of our fasting or of our mourning with the ashes, but it is on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why this text is read to us today. You know, Lynn is oftentimes a, a season when folks give stuff up. Folks will give up chocolate or they'll give up coffee or they'll give up lying and cheating. I never really understood that one. You, you ought not to be lying and cheating anyway. You should just go ahead and give that up for good. But what if, what if, in the spirit of Jesus' teachings here in Matthew chapter 6, instead of giving something up, we added something to our lives? A decision to be involved in our neighborhood. A decision to be made involved in our community. To perhaps volunteer with some of our partner ministries here in our local community with North Littleton Promise or Love in the Name of Christ or Love, Inc., as many of us have heard it. And if those aren't things that you can necessarily fit into your schedule, I know that there are things that you can add to your life. A time of devotion, a daily discipline of prayer, an intentionality to reach out to your neighbors, to check on the seniors that are in your neighborhood, to encourage and support the young people, young couples, and children. You see, Lent, which really is nothing more than an old English word that comes from Lenten or lengthening, that is, is the lengthening of the days that spring is known for, maybe during this Lent, during this lengthening, you could lengthen your light in the lives of others. I know. There are still ashes in our lives. There are still broken uh, dreams. There are still regret. There's still guilt and anger and jealousy. Well, my brothers and sisters, the greatest event in human history, God has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come. And not only that, but Jesus Christ has died and has rose again. That great moment of joy that we'll get to in just over 40 days from now. And here we sit in our own ashes as we begin this journey together. A sign of our need for God's grace. A sign of our needing to be ready. To be ready to celebrate the resurrection. To be ready for Christ has come to lift us. Are you ready? Out of the ashes. May God bless you as we together begin this journey on this Ash Wednesday. Amen.